G'day regular radio regulars, it's that time again and while we're whilst we're a little late for this episode we still have plenty of goods to share, M's still on maternity leave for the time being so you're stuck listening to me again for the foreseeable future. However, Newsman's back bringing us the latest in music news from Canberra. I'll be telling you all about my favourite tracks from this episode's playlist and to kick things off we've got Jim Gray, vocalist from popular Australian progressive alternative band Caligula's Horse, try saying that three times fast. Their most recent album, Rise Radiant, was released in 2020, but of course in the light of the pandemic, they haven't had a chance to tour the album until now. Kicking off on April 14 in Melbourne, Seahorse will be playing a total of six shows across four states. Rise Radiant has given the band chartings on Australia's album charts, Germany's album charts, the UK's rock albums chart, and also the USA's current hard music albums, registering over 5 million streams on Spotify alone. The band has gone from strength to strength since their debut in 2011 with their debut album Moments from Ephemeral City. God damn, I wish I'd remember to breathe during that. Welcome to Regular Radio, Jim. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Well, I always write paragraphs like I'm not going to say them and then I do. I'm like, I should No, just some- roll with it. Yeah. I was going to say that is, a, that is a lengthy scripted intro. That was a full history and I appreciate it. It I was. And look, hopefully 50% of it was accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounded right. Mm. Oh, good. good Excuse mate. me, mouthful of beer. Yeah, it sounded right. <laughs> no, most of our info comes from Facebook stalking, Instagram stalking, and for the very few bands <laughs> that we interview that have a website, then we'll do that too. Yes. Get, and get on that Wikipedia. Somebody needs to run it. I, it can't be me. Yeah, I steer clear. I've I've made too many bad mistakes on Wikipedia. I'm like, so your band's name is this? And, no. Oh, Wikipedia. Nope. I, actually, funnily enough, a couple of bands ago, we interviewed a band that... There's two bands by the same name. The very difference between is the word the before. So we interviewed Valleys and and my usual co-host kind of scripted for the band The Valleys, which are a Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons tribute. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love everything about this story. That's so, so painful. I love it. I love it. And the fact that I'm just going to blame Wikipedia for that, even though it was M's. Yeah. Why not? I mean, there was, there was an experience we had in, um, Europe in 2015, we were on tour with a Norwegian band called Shining, nice. uh, who were like a really kind of strange, they called it black jazz, where it was like really kind of almost industrial metal tone, but with this wild saxophone. And Jürgen, the saxophonist and lead singer, he um, ended up being the sax player on Graves from In Contact as well, um, oh, wow. which was cool. But there was also a Swedish band called Shining, who are like crazy bleak black metal sounding stuff with Opposite possibly white supremacist overtones um <laughs> and uh we were in uh, the city of vienna playing a show in this tiny little bunker underground and there was a woman there who very clearly was at the wrong show uh, and very much got the vibe straight away that she was there to see the swedish shining and not the norwegian shining oh, uh, and so you can imagine someone that bleak and angry and racist standing in the crowd as we open a set with bloom And I'm up there singing little sweet songs about my feelings. Yeah. So she heckled a lot and it was funny as hell. And it's actually on YouTube. So if, if you search for Caligula's horse live Vienna, 2015, you'll, you'll hear this woman screaming over the top of it. It is a riot. I love it. Wow. That is great. That, I mean, I kind of pitched that in the way that you would uh, go to say a system of down concert, expect to be at church. Yeah, pretty much. What's going on here? This You're about to get your feelings hurt. Exactly. <laughs> Mate, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. There's something surreal for me anytime I get to interview a band that's been pivotal in my own musical appreciation journey. 
Prog is such a difficult genre to sell if you don't get the musical recipe right. Has the attitude of your band changed over time with respect to your writing approach? And what do you try to work towards in creating such beautifully passionate, emotive and evocative music? Well said and well done. Um, Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Uh, I think for us that there's definitely things that have remained kind of constant throughout our um, entire journey as a band. Uh, and, And I think... The, the first of which being as soon as Sam and I were writing together, because Sam wrote basically all of Moments from Ephemeral City solo. Yep. That was his solo project. And I came on and was doing guest vocals. And then we ended up writing The City Has No Empathy together, which was the, excuse me, here comes this burp, excuse me. You're good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Beautiful. That's a good not, one. I'm not even going to cut that out. That's staying. No, don't. It's uh, like celebrate it. We all have to do it. It's the realism uh, of life. Especially me, apparently. It's a fact. Yeah, so we co-wrote the single from that album, The City Has No Empathy. And basically from that point on, we had this kind of natural tendency to want to um, not hide complexity, but at least, you know, bed complexity in uh, the enjoyment and the ease of listening of a song. So it's like the song itself has a message and an emotion that it wants to convey. And we didn't want that to be bogged down in unnecessary um, overt technicality for technicality's sake. Yep. And so a lot of the stuff, I mean, if, if you actually look at, at the, you know, the music, you know, the, the instrumental music and the tabs and everything that are out there, you'll see that there is a great deal of complexity, especially harmonic complexity in everything that we do. But the song's core is always its emotion and its journey and the story it has to tell. So that's one thing that's been really consistent through the whole journey. I think the things that have changed have really just been based around our experience. You know, like the Tide the Thief and River's End is quite a dark concept album and then i went through a particularly tough time after that and bloom wanted to be something that was really positive and that actually shifted our kind of worldview when it came to music permanently there where it's like yeah we we always want to have something if it's going to be dark it's still got to have an element of light and an element of uh you know while it might be you know melancholic it still has to be uplifting in a way you know it's funny you say that it sort of reminds me of uh, the fact that eric clapton won't play tears of he's in heaven anymore mm. live and although that song for him i guess has proved its point or served its purpose for lack of a better term mm. i feel like he forgets that there are so many people that are his fans that go that we want to hear this and i guess if you're writing from a dark place no matter how beautiful a song how beautiful the song is it can be quite painful to play that and relive it especially in you know his case where he's been doing it for decades but i imagine for sure. the same for yourself if you're up there you know pouring your heart out into something that's got very deep meaning for you no matter how commercially viable it is and you know poppy in some respect not that i'm saying it's poppy but you know what i mean it, it can take a toll i guess i think some people have a real capacity for that yep you know it's like you see for example footage of um, Mike Shinoda from uh, Lincoln Park. Yeah, yeah. And they'll do shows post Chester's death. And they're performing these songs and getting the, the crowd to sing Chester's parts and these big uplifting and big emotional things. Yeah. And he's up there just playing the show. Yeah. You know, he, he's doing it and he's not getting weighed down with the emotion of it. He's not becoming overcome or anything like that. He's, he's doing his job and he's yeah. providing an entertainment and, and doing experience. I, I don't think I'm capable of that really. I mean, Arcane's known learned the last album that we did, big conceptual yep. double album, um, came out before Bloom and was written around that time that I was having a really, really bad, <laughs> uh, bad year, really nasty, bad 
mournful, sad stuff going on. And um, the material in that reflected that and is full of some of the saddest melancholy and loss and, and all of those things that are there in the concept of that album. And um, I couldn't do it. Like um, we went on tour around Australia, played a couple of shows and yep. I was just leaving the stage crying every night. And it was just not a healthy place to be at all. So no. I, um, yeah, so I couldn't do it. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like Mike Shinoda. That's the quote from today. <laughs> Fair enough too. I mean, look, I can only imagine on the light we've got um, our news fella, newsman coming up soon. He's going to be chatting about Taylor Hawkins, which I guess mm, we go down the same vein. Very sad. Very, you know, very sad. Someone that, you know, Monkey Wrench just hooked me on the Phillies back in the early mm. mid-90s. I forget when that was, but I was real little. But yeah, I think my, my, I remember for my 13th birthday, I think my dad bought me a collection of CDs. Which, if you're young and listening, was form anyway. Um, <laughs> was like there was a single from Corn on there. There was uh, Neon Ballroom by Silverchair. Great, great. And choice. I remember that there was uh, there was nothing left to lose by Foo Fighters. Yeah. And you know, stacked actors and is my hero on that album? I can't even remember. Oh, I'm confusing my memories now. That's a good question. Yeah, yes, yeah I'll I have to look it, is, it up. Yeah. But but regardless, that album was really impactful in terms of its tone and the kind of rock element at a really kind of formative point in my life where I'm, you know, starting to get these ideas in my head, like, maybe I want to fucking play some fucking rock music, man. Like, maybe <laughs> I want to be on a stage. So it was very, very sad news to hear that. I was, um, yeah, you know, deeply. I think like many people, very upset. I can imagine so. I feel like those guys to me in the same vein as Chili's, like everyone knows mm. who they are, whether you've been an absolute lover of, of them or not. It's kind of irrelevant. You can see the heartache in those guys and, yeah, it's not great. So For sure. Yeah, I can only imagine the sadness that they're going to be feeling, but I still haven't mm. seen Studio 666, so I need to do that justice and go and check that out That's as well. That's it. Yeah, now's the time. Exactly. Now, for those that pay attention to these sorts of things, Caligula's Horses music feels like art more than just a collection of songs, and to complement the art of the music, your album art has such simple but gorgeous imagery. Can you tell us about the Rise Radiant album cover and what it means to you and the band? Yeah, uh, interesting story with that one actually is that Sam and I were, we went on a walk near his place and we, we sort of, we do this when, when sometimes when we're stuck and we just like do loops around a nice area with lots of trees or, some, or something. And uh, we went on this walk and, and we're trying to capture the, the visual kind of tone of what we wanted and also the, the content of what we thought the, the message of the album how it would be reflected. And the weird thing that we came up with and we tried to pitch this to the guys, so I was like, okay. <laughs> hear me out <laughs> we're going with national park ephemera so thinking about like posters and stuff uh, yep. promoting uh safety in national parks and like the beauty of and particularly american style ones and yeah, things like yeah. that. there's a really kind of iconic look to that and that idea kind of got squeezed in with a bunch of other stuff but the the, the core of it was that we wanted to have um a creature that was gentle and um has an image of, of kind of softness to it, but also has a, a grace and a power of its own and looking towards uh, a climb of some kind, like a mountain in the background, something for it to surpass and overcome. Yep. Um, and then we took our sort of muddled up kind of pitch to uh, Chris Mangos, who has done a, a whole bunch of art for us, including the Bloom album cover. Yep. And a whole stack of uh, merch designs and fun stuff. I actually have a painting of his that I commissioned for my wife, which is upstairs. He's just incredible. Um, 
And so we took it to him and then he came back with some mock-ups and ideas. And the minute that we saw it, it was just click. It was like, wow, that is so good. That is so strong, such a striking image. And then the, the finished product just blew us away. So it was very popular as well. I think people really loved that album cover. Yeah, it just had a presence to it. Like, I don't know, the other ones are yeah. great. Uh, I feel like sometimes can be misconstrued um, or misconstrued rather in terms of, you know, everyone has their own significance for a song, whether it be art or a song in that respect. But, hmm. you know, you're always interested in what the band felt when they designed it hmm. or when they wrote it because everyone gets, you know, if I listen to a track, I'm going to feel completely different to how you're feeling when you listen to that track. I know, for example, for sure. I was a huge Dredge fan in the mid-2000s mid and, man, I had some thumping drives home with LCLO playing and just, <laughs> yeah, living life on the edge as a <laughs> early 20s individual. But, yeah. Yeah, we can't do that part. anymore. No, no, I can't without hurting my neck anyway. <laughs> but, no, I, I really appreciate that you guys put so much thought, I guess, is where I was going with that into your album covers just as much as your music because it'd be so easy to go hey we've got this great product let's just slap a photoshop image on there <laughs> yeah we'll just we'll just copy a dream theater album just put that on top <laughs> people will buy it exactly. i mean they'll be disappointed but they'll buy it <laughs> um yeah i don't know i feel like for us it's like you know we do have a passion for visual art as well and art in general and we want this thing to uh express a certain something yep we want it to people to perceive it and experience it a certain way. And, and so why not go the whole hog and have the art be as uh, ambitious and exciting as we think the music is? Look, I think you achieved it. Now, you guys recently re-released the Bloom and In Contact albums on vinyl following calls from your fans. Now, it's absolutely fantastic that you guys have such a great relationship with your fan base and are able to give them what they want if they ask for it. What makes your fans different to the fans of any other band? Uh, the memes they make. No, um, I think... <laughs> Which is my next question. Tell us about Clevia's horse memes. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but the <laughs> No, the, um, I think Caligula's horse fans, for me, uh, amaze me because of their, their love, I think. I know it sounds kind of corny to, to say that because I'm trying to find the right word for it, but there is a an openness about their love that I uh, admire. Yep. You know, particularly in Latin America, you know, when we go to uh, Chile, Mexico, um, we were in Peru as well. Oh, wow. And the way that they express their love over there, the way that they are so unabashed and unembarrassed and unashamed about it and then like that is that's that's not how i grew up you know what i mean i i oh, no, <laughs> still try and you know play it play it cool about stuff you know but <laughs> uh they I, I love the click of the source fans are open in and expressive with their love and they've been very supportive over the last couple of years given that you know we haven't had a new album since rise radiant we haven't had a tour because of covid and they're still listening and they're still interacting and they're still you know sending messages of support and stuff like that so you know i'm i'm actually amazed at the group of people that we've somehow managed to connect with that have somehow our music has resonated with them in a way yeah that's fantastic um i'm looking through because i had written some you know really good questions but i'm looking through and you've answered a fair few of them because you're just so onto it which is great <laughs> 
Look I, at me go. <laughs> Look at me go. I know, right? It's, it's all about podcast experience that. now. I can I can talk shit forever. That's the problem. <laughs> but I don't think my SD card has that amount of room on it. So <laughs> that's all good. We'll progress from there. As things are starting to settle down in terms Ooh, of on, travel. I've lost you there. Oh no. Still there? I can hear you. Yeah, no, sorry, I just lost you for a second. I think uh, I think I'm back now. I'm going to turn off my camera for a tick. That's all good. The joy of unedited podcasting. So that'll be staying in just as well as the burgers. Amazing. Yeah. So as I was saying, as things start to set, settle down for you guys in terms of travel restrictions at an international level, have you discussed any plans to tour overseas at this stage in the near or you know, coming future? We have, and we will for sure. I mean, th- there's a lot of things in the works right now, and. To be, to be honest, I mean, all, even all through uh, 2020 and 2021, no matter how sort of bleak things had gotten, we still had kind of penciled in dates and tour plans in the works just in case. Because with international touring especially, yeah, you can't... You can't do it last minute, you know, especially with the US. You got to do all these crazy visas and yep. you got to, you know, purchase flights and have all the logistics sorted. So, all international touring for Australians is like a year or more uh, in advance. And so, we, we were doing it anyway because things might have gotten better. Yeah, absolutely. But um, they didn't. Uh, they, in fact, got worse for a long time, as we all know. But uh, now we're sort of, with all of us being vaccinated and with vaccinations around the world increasing and restrictions being released. We do actually have some uh, plans in the works now. Nothing that is like concrete enough for me to be able to go, yeah, we're going to do this this time. But um, yeah, we're working on it right now. I know people are really hungry I know. to see us, but I'm hungrier than that to go. <laughs> so I just yeah, want to get out of the Gold Coast. Let me free. Yeah, please. Please <laughs> let me go. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. I know it's hard when you've got a family to take care of as well as your band and your music else yeah and no worries it's uh it's, it's always fun and it's nice to have a, a few minutes to myself i know it's like it's like pooping with the door closed and you it's know what i mean often i get what to a share a beer with someone over the podcast so oh, i appreciate it. that even if we can't cheers i'm pretending we are i i am also cheers appreciate it mate we wish you and all the band all the best for the year and can't wait to catch you at a gig nearby if you'd like to listen to valkyrie from Killigula's horses 2020 album rise radiant head on over to our episode playlist and give it a spin i can guarantee you will not be disappointed and now we're off to canberra with the latest from newsman G'day, regular radio regulars. Welcome back to another episode of the Regular Radio Podcast. I cannot believe it's April already. Hasn't that time flown? I do feel like we say that every year, but I feel like it's gone pretty quickly um, these past few months. Anyway, I'm Newsman, ready to bring you all the latest news from the music world here in Australia and around the globe. Thanks for listening. We always like to bring you a good Foo Fighters story here on the Regular Radio Podcast. It only feels like a few weeks ago we brought you the story about their new film, Studio 666, that we're involved with. Well, no doubt you've heard only days ago the announcement that Taylor Hawkins, the jovial, ferocious drummer for Foo Fighters for more than two decades, died at the age of 50. 
The band announced the musician's death in a statement, but did not originally reveal the cause, although since then, the shocking revelation comes um, with speculation Hawkins may have died from a heart attack. The Foo Fighters family is devastated by the tragic and untimely loss of our beloved Taylor Hawkins, the group wrote. His musical spirit and infectious laughter will live on with all of us forever. Foo Fighters are currently on tour in South America and was scheduled to perform at Festival El Stereo Picnic in Bogota, Colombia at the time of Hawkins' death, a rep for the band told Rolling Stone. Bogota's municipal government issued a statement on Friday confirming that the city's emergency services received a call about a patient complaining of chest pain, that's according to reports. Ambulances were sent to the Four Seasons Casa Medina Hotel where the band was staying. Health workers carried out resuscitation manoeuvres on Hawkins but the patient was declared dead, that is according to Bogota's Secretary of Health. According to the Attorney General of Colombia, 10 substances were found in Hawkins, including antidepressants, benzodiazepines, and opioids. However, the National Institute for Legal Medicine continues to conduct the necessary medical studies to ascertain the cause of death, which I'm sure will be updated on shortly. As news of Hawkins' death spread, numerous musicians and celebrities took to social media to honour the late drummer. God bless you, Taylor Hawkins. I loved your spirit and your unstoppable rock power, wrote Rage Against the Machine's Tom Morello, sharing a photo of himself and Hawkins alongside Jane's Addiction's Perry Farrell. Miley Cyrus, a noted Foo Fighters fan, shared a photograph of herself and Hawkins to her Instagram stories, writing, This is how I'll always remember you, and added that her upcoming concert would be dedicated to him. Slash wrote that Hawkins' death left him devastated, saying, I've no words to express all the feelings I have about his passing. Born in Fort Worth, Texas, Hawkins relocated to Laguna Beach, California with his family in his early childhood. Following a stint with Canadian singer Sass Jordan in the early 90s, Hawkins rose to prominence as the touring drummer for Alanis Morissette during the Jagged Little Pill era. After inter-studio conflict led to the departure of original Foo Fighters drummer William Goldsmith, Hawkins officially joined the band at Grohl's request in the spring of 1997. Grohl would later refer to the drummer as his best friend and partner in crime in his 2021 autobiography, The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music. In the... Uh, Book, Grohl writes, during his stint as Alanis Morissette's drummer long before he became a Foo Fighter, we would bump into each other backstage at festivals all over the world, and our chemistry was so obvious that even Alanis herself once asked him, what are you going to do when Dave asks you to be his drummer? Grohl continues, part Beavis and Butthead, part Dumb and Dumber, we were a hyperactive blur of parliament lights and air drumming wherever we went. Throughout his career with Foo Fighters, Hawkins occasionally handled vocal duties, singing lead on the group's 2005 single Cold Day in the Sun and Sunday Rain from 2017's Concrete and Gold. Hawkins also frequently sang cover songs with the group, both for Foo Fighters' B-sides and during live performances, including a powerful rendition of Queen's Somebody to Love during a January 2021 show for fully vaccinated fans in Los Angeles. 
Hawkins also co-starred with his bandmates in the Foo Fighters horror comedy film Studio 666, released last month. Outside of his work with Foo Fighters, Hawkins regularly collaborated with other musicians and groups, launching several side projects of his own. In 2006, he embarked on a solo career with Taylor Hawkins and the Coattail Riders, reuniting with his former Morissette touring bandmate and Jane's Addiction bassist, Chris Chaney. Hawkins would go on to release three albums under the Coattail Riders banner, tapping artists including Queen's Brian May and Roger Taylor, Elliot Easton of The Cars, Perry Farrell, as well as Grohl for collaborations. Hawkins also fronted cover band Chevy Metal with friends Wiley Hodgden and McMurphy, with the trio eventually releasing an album under the monkier Birds of Satan in 2014. Most recently, Hawkins joined forces with Cheney and Dave Navarro for NHC, a supergroup formed during pandemic jam sessions at Hawkins' home studio in Los Angeles. NHC was the first time any of us have been in a situation writing-wise where we just throw the ball, Hawkins told Rolling Stone last year. It's like playing catch, literally, a writing session or recording session for us all in three of us playing baseball in a backyard. The band's debut album is slated for release this year. Hawkins continued to tell Rolling Stone in 2020, the drummer's seat is in the hot seat. It's the first guy to get fired. It's the first guy when everyone goes, we suck tonight because he sucked. The drummer is really the toilet of the band, but also the most important part on a certain level. Your job is to be the pulse of the band. Hawkins is survived by his wife and three children. He'll certainly be missed a really, really integral part of the Foo Fighters legacy. Anyway, regulars, that finishes up our story for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what we've just shared with you, please head to our Twitter page at news underscore regular, and you know there that you can find all the stories we feature here on the Regular Radio podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening, and stay regular. Thanks, Newsman. As always, we've had some amazing music submitted to the podcast and have such an array of awesome tracks to share with you all each episode. So here are my top three picks for episode 12. Coming in at number one, our feature artist Caligula's Horse with their track Valkyrie is just well worth a listen. Don't miss out. Get stuck into it now. Number two was a recent submission from Gold Coaster April Darling with their track Human Thief, another really good one. And at number three, well-known name, Liam Gallagher from the band Oasis with his soloist or normal solo track. Come on, you know, really good track. Check it out. Of course, I know Em would be upset if I didn't mention her crush, Machine Gun Kelly, with his track, Maybe, featuring Bring Me The Horizon. Not bad. Give it a listen. If you'd like to submit a track to us for inclusion on an upcoming episode, then head on over to our website at regularradio.com.au. Don't forget to check out our online store for regular radio merch. And we now also have a Patreon set up to further support the show. So check that out. Links on the website. And to wrap things up, I strongly suggest heading over to the regular radio TikTok page to see M's amazing interpretive dance to Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for sticking with us. And as always, stay regular.